Episode 2, An Irish Devil's Coal, by R. W. Murphy. As we planned, we sat outside at one of Faneuil Hall's trendy restaurants. It was a little afternoon when we started our lunch. Of course, we also started out with schooners of cold beer. An hour or so later, we had finished up our sandwiches and ordered another beer. Along the way, I had the good sense, which as you will see was in short supply that day, to call my fiancée, who was with her own family in New Jersey. Since this was the pre-cell phone error, it was from a payphone a block or so from our cafe table where Joe remained to guard the book. In retrospect, it was a wise decision to make that important call early in the afternoon. The slippery slope was looming on the horizon. I think we had actually just started our third round of beers. It was now pressing 2 p.m. or so. We were not actually on a tight schedule as far as getting back to my parents' house, and I knew we could do it in about an hour. We felt pretty relaxed about having another beer. We were sitting there just chatting when the devil incarnate emerged that holy eve and asked us if we could carry a tune. We said we could get by. He asked us if we thought we could play the bells. And with beer-assisted logic, we assured him that we probably could. In explanation, the bells were sleigh-type bells fixed to a paddle about 18 inches long. We had a set of two, one for each of us, if we were interested. The tunes would be simple carols. He just needed some assistance to fill out his band, which as of that moment was he alone. Again, driven by beer logic, we readily volunteered and moved inside, along with the book, to take our places alongside his piano. It was the Boston debut for the Murphy Brothers, the elder recently hailing from Music City, USA. A serious omission would be to fail to mention here that on Christmas Eve 1985, as quasi-certified, if non-union, bell-ringing band members doing a Faneuil Hall gig, beer was now on the house. The schooners came. The tab did not. We were clearly doomed, for what I dare not ponder, not even today. We sat out that day with the highest and purest motivations. Why were we now being gradually ensnared in a nefarious machination of the lower world? Clearly, the impelling force had to be beyond our control. Lucifer on the ivory keys. As you will also see as we go along, Lucifer had his troops of darkness arrayed to intercept our good sense far beyond the limits of Faneuil Hall per se. It ended up being an incredibly long afternoon that stretched into the early evening. Our earlier plans of getting out to the suburbs by nightfall had been foregone hours ago. The bells rang on and the beer flowed freely. Our piano player friend goaded us along as we became an integral part of the entertainment. 
we were clearly getting more talented as each schooner arrived. Somehow, in the midst of our revelry, we were not too concerned that not showing up at my folks' house within a reasonable window of time would cause some concern with them. We just played on. We wrapped things up at Faneuil Hall about 6.30 to 7 o'clock p.m. Our gig was over, and it was inky black outside. We had been playing for hours, and were a little worse for wear because of it. Since we had missed the soft deadline we had been using for our rough planning, and being further affected by beer logic, we decided to have a nice dinner at an upscale restaurant I had been to before. It was within walking distance, and we headed out to it. This part of my story gets a little fuzzy. We were dressed pretty rough for an upscale place. We must have been showing the effects of partying all afternoon. Yet, they seated us nevertheless, more than likely because of the slow patron traffic on Christmas Eve. At 8 o'clock p.m., the servers who got the Christmas Eve shift were looking for a reason to be there. Otherwise, they probably would have turned us away. Another plausible reason. Maybe one of them had caught the bell show and knew we were pretty harmless. Whatever the reason, we ended up having a prolonged, multi-course meal that went for several hours and put a sizable dent in my American Express balance. Of course, it also entailed more cocktails and wine. By the time dessert was served, Lucifer had us firmly in his grasp. We finished our meal, paid, and left there sometime after 10.30 p.m. This is where key decisions and the effect of the underworld army become the essence of this story. It would have been simple to find an Orange Line station and head back north, albeit late, we would have arrived at my parents' house at a reasonable time. Actually, any T station would have sufficed. We would have eventually found our way to an Orange Line connection. However, it was just not to be. After our posh dinner, we were not far from the Boston Common and Boston Public Gardens areas. We were pretty much northeast a few blocks from the common. I knew that the original Cheers location under the Hampshire House on Beacon Street was on the far northwestern tip of the public garden. In those days, there was not a second location as there is today. Also in those days, it remained open late on Christmas Eve, which it does not today. It would be a little bit of a hike that night, but again, doable. I also knew that Joe had never been there. When I asked him if he wanted to check it out, he enthusiastically jumped at the idea. Hardly a surprise at this point in the logic continuum. Any sense that we had much earlier in the morning had long since vanished. We were now in the warm embrace of an evil power greater than our own or so I have at least alleged for the last 32 years. We began a short trek across the green open areas in the heart of Boston and got to Beacon Street about 11 p.m. 
Anybody who has seen the television show Cheers recognizes the stairs that lead from street level down into the bar. In the show, it is actually a set. However, they really do exist next to the main entrance to Hampshire House above. That night, when we made our way down the steps and into the bar, we were not greeted by a throng of people who always know your name. It was quite the contrary. With a sole exception, it was entirely empty of customers. Even the most hearty customers of Faneuil Hall earlier in the day had by this time Christmas Eve sought out friends, family, or even in some cases a midnight church service. One thing for sure, at something past 11 p.m. that night, nobody has sought out cheers as a place to hang out. The sole exception was a middle-aged woman with a young toddler in her arms who was just sitting in a corner. We never really did get her a complete story as to why she had chosen cheers that night, but more on her in a bit. When we walked in, with a massive tome purchased earlier still in hand, the bartender laughed and asked us what the hell we were doing there on Christmas Eve, when clearly nobody else had a similar motivation. He was a friendly and jocular guy, and we warmed up to him pretty quickly. Before we could order a drink, he asked us where we were from. We answered loudly, proudly, and probably just a little too emphatically, with a few missing syllables, that we are the Murphy brothers, and we are from Florida. His ominous reply, well, the Murphy brothers aren't paying for any drinks at Cheers tonight. What's your pleasure? Lucifer, indeed, had his minions in many places that night. Free, top-shelf drinks for a couple of half-sodded Murphys with Irish blood in their veins was a spell's recipe for which we had no defense at that point. As I said earlier, we were doomed. End Episode 2 An Irish Devil's Coal by R. W. Murphy